Hey, witches. Sorry for the delay on this podcast. My laptop is a piece of poo. Uh, Maybe I'll start a Kickstarter to get another laptop to get this out quicker to you. Anyway, this is our review for the 11th episode of American Horror Story Coven. The title is Protect the Coven. Uh, And that's what some of them are definitely not doing, or except maybe one of them. Anyway, all the characters are pretty much back, proving the point that no one dies. And let's just dive right on in. Here we go. Good evening, witches, and welcome to This American Horror Story, an unofficial podcast about the FX hit show American Horror Story. I am your host, Tyler Moss, here with my co-host... Chris Eustead. What's going on, everyone? Hey, Tyler. How are you? I'm doing well, man. How are you doing? Uh, pretty excited after that episode. A lot of interesting stuff went on, that's for sure. I can't believe that we're getting so close to the end of the season already. It breaks How my heart. Be- yeah, two episodes, right? Mm-hmm. This season has been nuts. And hella people are dead. Or back to life, and so many twists. Right. And a lot I, of this, peripheral people are dead. Man, maybe. this season is just like a mind-bender. Dude, I, yeah. I, I, again, did we not call that certain people would come back? I, I think, yeah. The Queenie, I was surprised. I, I think that I had said, I think Queenie's actually going to stay dead this time. And you're like, no way. She's no not way. staying dead. And you were right. <laughs> I was so happy she, when she I don't know what rolled I was up thinking. in. Mm-hmm. With, Into the with grave. La Lurie on a leash, which was Yeah, badass. on a leash in I'm some, ex- like, Walmart clothes. <laughs> I totally psyched to talk about that. Uh, before we begin, as per usual, uh, what do you got on tap this evening? What are you drinking? Uh, I'm, I'm kind of trying to kick a possible oncoming cold, so I'm doing a little bit of cider with bourbon. Mm, of course. Now, I... Um, two drinking a cold, which you might or drinking a cold, uh, nursing a cold, which you can hear probably a little bit in my voice. Um, so I'm just drinking a little bit of bourbon neat. So I will be sipping as we speak this evening. As always, before we really break into the breakdown, I would like to remind everybody to check us out on iTunes at This American Horror Story Podcast and leave us ratings and reviews and critiques and comments. We always appreciate that. Same thing on Facebook at This American or uh, Facebook.com slash This American Horror Story Podcast. And finally, send us questions and comments at This American Horror Story at gmail.com. And I think we want to talk about a few of your questions and comments that came in over the past week real quickly. First, what I wanted to mention is a great point um, from our friend Beth, who sent an email making the connection that um, I think, and we've already talked about the parallels between this, but just how in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the Slayer had to die to activate the new Slayer um, and for her to get the full power. So it's really quite an homage to Buffy in the way this kind of supreme hierarchy works. I think that was that's a good point to note on. Um, so thank you, Beth, for, for providing us with that. What uh, I think you had a couple ones you want to talk about as well, correct? Yeah, I got one on Facebook here from our friend Dawn, uh, who, you know, we know a little bit about Stevie Nicks, but she's kind of, you know, schooling us on a little bit more. She than is a Stevie expert. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, 
So John writes, I definitely don't think those were tears of joy from Fiona at the end of the episode. When Stevie's best friend died from cancer, hello, Fiona, Stevie found new meaning in Has Anyone Ever Written Anything For You? And has many times sang it on stage in her friend's memory. My take on that is it was a secret mm-hmm. nod to Stevie's fans, as well as being a song that fit the tone of the scene. Although Jessica Lang is killing it this season, not one performance this season even comes close to her masterful performance episode after episode, Fiona must die. I like the idea of a shared supremacy, but I think another interesting idea would be if they found a way for Myrtle to rule. I know, I know, she's older, but to me, no one comes close to the coolness quotient of Myrtle Snow. From her Diana Vreeland accent to her Grace Coddington hair, any scene with Myrtle in it is an automatic favorite of mine. I also thought while watching this episode that the real Supreme might be giving temporary powers to others to throw Fiona off the trail. We started the season with the story of Zoe, so it's probably going to be her, Yawn. Anyone could have guessed that ending. The creators said in an interview not too long ago that no one will guess who the Supreme will be. Aside from Myrtle, I don't know which which witch would be a true shocker, unless Cordelia gets her act together or another witch comes in right at the end. Like a crazy unexpected cameo from a big star that leads into a recurring performance on the next season. Ooh, oh, oh, wait, what if a white witch finally gets to rule? Stevie as Supreme! Can we get those t-shirts made, please? If not, Stevie is already Supreme in my eyes. Dawn, that is brilliant. I'm so on board with this. Stevie for Supreme. I think that's a great idea. Uh, I think I'm on Team Myrtle for Supreme. Um, but, I, you know, I can respect Stevie as Supreme, too. But great comments, Dom. We really appreciate your insight on kind of the Stevie song and everything. And then and, uh, I have one other uh, Facebook one from our friend Holly, who uh, last week asked, How badly did you want to see Patti Lapone do a duet with Stevie Nicks? I sure as hell wanted that. Holly, here, here. <laughs> yes, for sure. For sure, for sure. Oh, I know. Oh, come on, Ryan Murphy. You should see that shit coming from a mile away. <laughs> that was that is just a missed opportunity. I can't believe they didn't think of that. Yeah, maybe they'll both maybe Patty will come back from the dead. They'll revive her just to do a duet with Stevie. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, great comments. We really appreciate that. Once again, hit us up on all those uh social networks and we're happy to talk about your comments and questions and all that stuff. Um so without further ado, let's dive into this episode, which is aptly titled Protect, Protect the, the Common. So, let's talk opening scene. Also known as, the gang's all back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, opening scene. We're back into... Uh, we're back into the early 1800s when Delphine and her family have just moved to New Orleans. And we're kind of seeing the origin story of her interest in um, basically using s- slave blood as like a rejuvenating cream or whatever um and we kind of we see her cut the head off the chicken which is kind of like i think that's kind of just showing her maybe she's had all this repressed brutality that she never really expressed until she got to new orleans and then of course the slave gets hurt and she tortures him for all of his uh blood and she starts rubbing it all over herself so pretty dark we're back i mean well i, I would like i think after watching this episode we can say for sure that la Lalaurie has kind of gone full circle here. For a while, we were like, oh, she's changed. And now it's like, no, she hasn't changed even a little bit. She's back to the shitty person she always was. So what did you draw from this opening scene? Right. So basically what I thought was that uh, Lulari, you know, what we get out of the scene is she didn't want to move. She was she had to move from Paris, where she loved it, 
because of her husband. And then when she gets to New Orleans, she has this restless mind. She's, you know, looking at the slaves and kind of treating them. I mean, she, obviously, she's still racist here. Um, her, mm-hmm. But she comes across as more ignorant racist because, as we see later on, she gets to know Queenie. And I think I think Elise evolves a little bit and moves beyond uh, just flat-out racism as a religion, but more as racism as ignorance for not know, trying to get to know these people. Um, anyway, but when she cuts the head off the chicken, it kind of the blood squirts out, and you see her kind of get that first taste of blood and something that uh, could occupy her, something that gives her some passion. That felt good. Uh, you yeah. know, later in the in the episode, we see how she or she talks about how she likes the, to see the organs, and she's fascinated by the body parts and tries to figure out the biology of of people and 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 bodies. Um, so, and we see her obviously go from zero to 60 from the chicken to the, to the slave within like minutes. Um, but I, I think we, what we get out of this is we see that she doesn't like, she, she doesn't like that her husband controlled her life and this move, but then she in turn finds, uh, lives that she can control, uh, and be in charge of, which we always said that she kind of had this power, uh, trip going along with the liking the body parts. She's like, what do you think? You know, she's like the kid that you, you know, the kid on the playground that's like burning ants alive with a, you know, magnifying glass just because they find it fascinating. Right. You know? Exactly. That's exactly. So definitely. Uh, totally. Gruesome. Um, you, you were saying before that you felt like you could draw some main themes from kind of this and throughout the rest of the episode. What are those? Yeah, so the I, I think the most important scene that we get um, in, in this episode is one later on with Lolari and uh, the butler, Spalding. And in that scene, we hear Spalding say one thing and, and Lolari say one thing that I think is the message of not only this episode, but also the theme for all the witches uh, in the in this season. Uh, and that's, that's Spalding telling um, Lolari, he says, life without purpose is no life at all. Uh, and clearly this whole episode and mm-hmm. this season is defined by how these women are defining themselves within the coven. They're trying to find their purpose, whether it be as a supreme, as, uh, as, uh, as, uh, um, as the headmistress, as, as uh, some, someone of value in this coven. They're all trying to find the purpose. Or, like Lulari was trying to do earlier, she was trying to find purpose uh, and, and a hobby when she moved to New Orleans. Also, Lulari says she has uh, that she had one moment of weakness and vulnerability when she took that potion. And I think that's also a message in this episode and also the season, that mm-hmm. these people have moments of weakness and vulnerability, and that's when they succumb to uh, uh, doing something drastic, as we see Cordelia do. Um, but anyway, it's 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 quite the uh, overarching theme for the whole season, but I think, also yeah. for this episode. I think it was definitely building up to this when you think about the kind exactly. of the speech that Myrtle right. gave to Cordelia last episode, where she was saying like, "Your magic doesn't define." I think you know when we were talking about like the part where she talks about like Cordelia's salad dressing that could be your thing or something like that. I think the whole point of that speech was basically like, "Your magic doesn't define you; you kind of have to define yourself." Yeah, and in a way, I mean. I don't know that Cordelia necessarily heeded that because she did the unthinkable to get her magical powers back. But it's definitely a point about, you know, establishing your your own identity within this group of people. 
So without further ado, let's break into the real episode and kind of the trajectory I want to follow here is we're going to st- I want to start from the beginning at the funeral, at Nan's funeral, and then we're going to go forward a little bit and then um, there's a lot of different storylines here, so we'll kind of branch off and talk about one thing at a time, but we'll start at this kind of core moment, which is uh, Nan's funeral in the graveyard and Fiona is, of course, giving a eulogy and... You know, for poor Nan who fell in the tub, in quotation marks. Amen. And, you know, and everyone seems a little bit suspicious um, about what happened here. No one seems particularly upset, really, about what happened. Uh, which is too bad, because Nan was really sweet. Um, this is when, of course, we also see Queenie's back. Queenie. Uh, we knew she wasn't dead. I called it. And we kind of have, like, the gang is back now. Um, and we're ready to figure out. I mean, I think this is all gearing up to who's going to be the next Supreme, right? And we learned that Queenie has a new power because she put uh, Lulari all back together. Right, right? yeah. We have the conversation that, um, is it Laveau has with Queenie? Or is it Cordelia has with Queenie? One of them has with Queenie where she basically says, oh yeah, now I have the power. She like spits out the magic bullet and was like, so I'm assuming that's... Everyone has every power, which I think they're we're, they're intentionally doing to screw with us, so we don't know who the next supreme is. But if I mean, I think that it's it's definitely going to be a curveball, whoever it is. So it can, makes me think that all these all these girls who are saying I'm the next supreme are probably not it, right? I don't know. So of course, Lalaurie is you know still their slave. She kind of monologues as she talks about cleaning their toilets and clipping their toenails, and she's serving you know she's making mixed drinks and. Um, she's like peeking in as Zoe Madison and Kyle share a bed and she's kind of, her, her narration is about how she kind of came from simple means, but how she made, she made something of herself. She pulled herself, it's the American dream, right? She pulls herself up by her bootstraps and you kind of get the idea that she's, she's plotting to do that again. She's once again at the bottom of the pit, but she's going to pull herself back up. She's got that drive. Um, Laveau makes her take care of the baby and stuff, which, to talk about the baby real quick, I just want to say, what the hell's the deal with the baby? Why hasn't Legba came and gotten the baby yet? <laughs> like, Yeah, I was thinking during this episode, where, where's Papa Legba at? What would he think about this mess? I mean, I think we see in the next, uh, I mean, he's coming back, we know. But, like, why is he waiting so long? I mean, maybe he's off on a snorting coke on some sort of bender, but, <laughs> like... Maybe he's got a few other babies to pick up. Yeah, what's going on there? Um... So anyway, you know, she's taking care of the baby, she's cleaning all the toilets and all this shit until uh, her, her opportunity arises when James, the butler, or not butler, he's like a gardener or something like that, um, cuts his hand somehow outside trimming bushes. And so she offers to Cordelia or Fiona or whoever that she'll take care of him. And so, of course, she brings him up to... Uh, Spalding's creepy attic and proceeds to cut off his toes one by one, which was quite gruesome. There was a lot of blood and gore in this episode. Yeah, it was pretty gory. And they like they showed everything. It was like there was no cutaways. Like you, like when she cut the toe off, you heard the bone crunch. It was it was gnarly. Um, anyway, she basically she thinks that what she's been lacking this void in her life is is lack of this rejuvenate well okay you can interpret it a couple ways you can interpret it that she's what she's been missing is the 
the lifeblood, you know, the blood that she rubs on her face and stuff like that. Or you can interpret it as what she's been missing is torturing people and this, you know, malevolence that is a part of who she is. And she needs to kind of walk back into that identity like we were talking about before. And so she kills him, and then Spalding has been watching and everything in the corner. Real creepy. Of course, we see, of course, Kyle and Spalding and Laurie, who were all absent last episode, play a role in this episode. Spalding's back, um, tells her that he'll help her get revenge on Marie Laveau um, if she helps him out. Which seemed a little suspicious to me from the beginning, because he seemed to suddenly turn against Fiona when he would do absolutely anything for her before, to the point that he'd cut his own tongue out. So I was suspicious kind of from, uh, about this plot point from the start. But then he says that he has the magic to kill Laveau, but he needs Lalaurie to go and get something for him. Now, did you, did you believe at this point that Spalding had the capability to kill Laveau? Were you skeptical? You know, I didn't know yet. I thought maybe there was a chance just because he had crossed over into some weird spirit ghost world. But um, not at this point. I thought maybe there's it's, there, he has a plausible uh, solution to Lollary's mm-hmm. problem. And did you have any, I mean, did you have any idea of the kind of thing, like the kind of item he would want? I mean, of course... I thought it would be something more magical. Something more serious, right? Yeah. Not a doll. So Spalding wanted a vintage baby doll, which, as we've mentioned numerous times, is creepy-ass stuff. Um, And in return, he gives uh, Lalaurie this magic potion that's going to kill Laveau, which is Benadryl. (laughs) We find out that he's just been screwing with her the whole time. So she spikes the drink as Fiona and Laveau are toasting victory, and she stabs Laveau, but it doesn't do anything, of course, because she's immortal and Benadryl isn't going to kill her. And so mm-hmm. Delphine is kind of horrified as Laveau chases after her to dismantle her piece by piece, and Spalding knocks her out with the doll. It's like he... That doll's supposed to be vintage. What are you using that doll for? Yeah, unless it's like made of stainless steel or something like that. <laughs> Maybe that's why it's so vintage. I don't know. But uh, he knocks her out pretty easily and basically it sounds like the the plot they're going to go with there is to bury Laveau alive similar to how uh, LaLaurie was buried alive. Although, as long as she's able to, I mean say spells I feel like I mean that's dangerous yeah this isn't the last we've seen her she'll be no, back I think that's pretty fair to say not at all um, but I agree with you I think it was a little bit lengthy and um, that storyline just kind of took us in a awkward circle. it did run us in a circle a little bit to get to this point where we're burying Laveau in the ground but I guess part of it was kind of the you know if, if identity is the main theme of this episode we're kind of I mean I guess what I would say is in this episode, when we're talking about identity, it's kind of like, you know, as much as all these characters try to change, they all gravitate back to who they are in in a pure form. Whether it's, you know, Lava, La Lurie coming back full circle to being a horrible, mutilating racist again. Or whether it's Cordelia gouging out her own eyes to go back to her true clairvoyant self. Or whether it's, you know, Kyle saying that he's not able to control his animal instincts you know you know what i kind of wish would have happened with um with queenie is it would have been very interesting had they chosen a different race for the gardener uh to for her uh old feelings to come to resurface um 
just because because the gardener is black, it kind of makes me automatically go back to thinking, well, she's doing this because she's a racist. But I got more of the impression that she's doing it because she likes the biology, the control, the blood. Um, I, I, I think it would have really thrown, thrown people more for a loop or made us think a little harder had it been a white gardener or someone of just a different race than what uh, than, than the standard yeah. Uh, African. Yeah, I think that would have made things more interesting. But I guess what they're trying to show us is that she's still the old... Um, I mean, she still harbors much of that mindset that she had back in the early 1800s that, you know, modern times haven't changed her. But I agree with you. I think that would have made things more interesting. And her and Queenie, aren't they supposed to be homies now? Is she anymore? I don't think so. Queenie had her on a leash and she was spitting. Yeah, you're right. At this point, I think they're making her pretty indefensible, but it's kind of... I mean, they screwed with you on that. They screwed with us on that because they tried to make her sympathetic and now she's an evil bitch again. So... Let's let's talk about this Fiona plotline here for a second, which is starts with kind of her and the Axe Man. Um, they're at his place, and he talks about wanting to basically grow old with her on on a farm, and that after they kill this young supreme, they're going to stop killing everybody. They're going to become good people, and they're going to go live on this farm and live out the rest of their days. They're going to try to reform their identity. But, yeah, but Fiona sits I mean, back and laughs at that. And goes, <laughs> "Could you imagine me doing that? It's not. It's not. It's not her. It's, it's against their true nature. Is. You know, I just don't see, don't see that happening. Especially when you think about what happens next at the witch hunter meeting. As the witch hunters arrive in New Orleans to meet with Fiona and Laveau at this table talk, and they go on. I mean, okay. So Hank's dad wants to forge an 100 year truce with the Coven." where there will be no even potential witch hunting until everybody at that table is dead in 100 years. Except for the immortals. Right. And something kind of suspicious was going on here at the beginning because we didn't, they were like, it was like the camera was intentionally avoiding, intentionally avoiding the bartender's face. Oh, but you knew who it was. We all know who it was. As soon as you saw the suspenders, yeah, as soon as you saw the suspenders, you knew what was coming. Um, when he locks the door and all that every and all that stuff, um, but Fiona pretty much counteroffers. How about you all just die immediately right now? They roll in and they're asking for jet planes and houses in the square, and they're just laughing at. It. They're asking for the sun and the moon. They they know what's up. Oh yeah, negotiating wasn't even in there. Yeah, mind. when they roll in, they're like, we got to make this quick. We got plans. Emerald has uh, invited us over for dinner. <laughs> yeah. And Emerald Lagasse, obviously, the right. big, famous yeah, New, <laughs> New Orleans chef. <laughs> what is it? What's his thing? Bam? Is it? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Maybe Emerald's, maybe Emerald's a witch, right? Because he's like, it's like magic. He's like, bam, delicious food. And maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and Anyway, that was stupid. I apologize. Uh, anyway, so they decide they're not going to take Hagstad up on the offer, and Axeman turns around and digs an axe into some dude's back, and they proceed to slaughter absolutely everybody, including Hagstad after he uh, plays it all cool and mixes himself a cup of coffee to drink right before uh, calling them witch bitches and having Fiona slice, you know, have to capitate him so blood squirts out for probably a good 15 seconds there. Ooh, that was gnarly. I was getting visions of um, Herschel getting uh, his head chopped or hacked with uh, by the governor in Walking Dead because it kind of doesn't go all the way through his head. 
I was what I was thinking is Kill Bill the way that it was like the blood just kept coming oh, yeah, and coming. Totally. It was so bright, Me right? Too. It's like all that blood. That, that's definitely what I had in mind. But so they were dispatched of real easy. They kill everybody. Super easy. Um, super gory. Super easy. Laveau's taking a photo on her phone, which is kind of ridiculous. Um, but what I wrote is like, wow, that was not at all what I expected. They so okay. So it way easily taken care of. So I want to say a couple things about plot lines that I feel like didn't really go much of anywhere this season. And I'm talking about the Patty Lapone plot line doesn't I mean that's not the reason Nan died. I mean like it empowered her in the end, but like what was the point of that plot line? And again here, you know, Hank shot Queenie who came back to life. I guess he and kind of brought Laveau and and Fiona together. But then again, you know, they were set up to be the ultimate villains and in turn were vanquished crazy easily so in my mind these plot lines are kind of like red herrings for what's going to be the real like the ultimate moment of the season right because i you thought they kind of like you thought maybe you know the the witch versus witch hunter battle is going to be the final battle and clearly that's not going to be the case with two episodes remaining um i mean what i don't know what do you think yeah, no, I think all these storylines just kind of um, jockeyed everyone in a place for the showdown of who's going to be the Supreme. I mean, ultimately, that's kind of what our final two episodes seem to be about. Yeah, who's who's the Supreme right now seems like is going to be the ultimate. I don't know. It, it, that just happened way faster and easier than I expected, which I guess is the, I mean, the, the, this show has been 90% curveball so far this season. And so... I'm sure whoever the next Supreme is, we're not going to see coming. Okay, so next plotline I want to talk about is is uh, Cordelia, and you know she was just getting berated absolutely, you know, to the bone last episode by Fiona, who and a little bit this episode too, who was just acting like she completely despises her now, um, and so Cordelia's just feeling like she has no place in the coven, all this stuff. Um, you know, we see her kind of studying potions, thinking of ideas to bring her kind of clairvoyance back. We have the the part where she talks with Queenie, where Queenie, it seems like, is a little bit unnecessarily cruel to Cordelia, I felt like. Queenie in this scene is kind of like the voice of the audience uh, here, calling things out as they are. Um, basically saying, you know, I leave for a little bit and shit moved way too fast. Like, I know things go fast, but this is crazy. Uh, you have one witch dead and one witch is missing. And your arch your arch nemesis is now living under the roof. Um, like, b- basically just making comments, <laughs> yeah. commentary what you... on what the show is all about and what it's like. Which is true. It moves way too fast. But it also, that's what makes it exciting. And to top it all off, you've never taught us an entire lesson <laughs> the entire time we're supposedly at this academy. And so ultimately, she rubs that, like tonic or whatever that she made the potion around her eyes and shoves the hedge trimmer thing into each one like really crazy graphic yo that was gory I mean, holy cow yikes that was intense so tight it was it that was that was gross um a lot of very graphic scenes I was like, once oh, again hell. in this episode oh i know i like it was like looking through my hand you know <laughs> I didn't see that. I mean, that surprised me. Me too. I did not think she I was know. That was, that was a surprising moment. I mean, like, it gives you a little <laughs> bit of, like, 
respect for Cordelia, I guess, for, you know, like Myrtle says in the next scene, how Myrtle's, or how Cordelia, you know, made a sacrifice, and she's a, a hero because she realized that having her clairvoyance was more important to the coven than her eyesight, I guess. Although, frankly, I think it was a pretty, I mean, it was clearly a very selfish decision, too, because she didn't have a real role in the coven. She didn't really have any strong powers without that clairvoyance, and so she wanted that back. It's kind of interesting because Myrtle is there trying to help. I mean, everyone's trying to find their role, but Myrtle is trying to help get uh, kind of the nicer yeah. witches out of there. Like yeah, what it, that's an interesting point. Myrtle's trying to get everybody out of the coven. Hmm. So Myrtle thinks that the coven's going to hell in a handbasket, basically, and she's trying to save some people because she thinks that maybe Fiona's just going to burn it down from the ground up. So question for you, a couple questions for you. Cordelia, does she have her clairvoyance back? I don't think so, but I hope so. I bet it comes back, just so that way there's another person with really strong powers who's a contender for Supreme. What do you think Fiona was afraid of? I mean, when Myrtle tells Fiona that uh, Cordelia has her power back and she's in the room, Fiona totally hesitates to go in there. And then she's like, "Mm, actually, I got something else to do. I'll be back. Fiona's afraid that Cordelia will see that she killed Nan and maybe what her plans are for mm, killing Fiona. That's true. That's true. And also, Fiona has pretty much made plans to kill absolutely everybody until she gets, you know, just to make sure she's hit the target. Or maybe that she's dating the sweet. He was, he was sweet in this episode, but once again, like, we don't know what he is or why he doesn't age or how, like, is he a physical thing? Is he a ghost? Is he the same thing as Spalding? But then again, why is Spalding not, like, uh, enchanted and have to be released? There's some some loose ends a little bit. It's just hard to know because you don't know. I mean, for horror films and shows, you have to set these rules and you can't break them because once you start breaking the rules, then it gets confusing and becomes a little less believable, right? It takes us out of the world a little bit if you start breaking your your if, if your world doesn't have specific, yeah, if the rules aren't clearly defined. Which, I mean, I think that we could make justification for some of this. We could say the axe man was a victim of whatever spell they cast, which is why that you know um, Spalding just died. He wasn't enchanted, and so that's the reason that you know axe man had to be released versus Spalding not being released. And maybe it had something to do with their enchantment that axe man still exists as like a specter wandering the earth or whatever. I'm not entirely sure, but you know we we can make justifications as fans if we wanted to. I think that's you're right. That's the less important part to discuss as much as the deeper underlying meanings of their actions. Which brings me to my final plotline I wanted to talk about, which is uh, Zoe plotline. So, Zoe casts a spell in the bathtub to basically reveal that uh, it was Fiona and Marie Laveau that killed Nan. So, that was pretty easy for her to discover. Um, I don't know, you feel like that someone with this, as strong powers as... Fiona or Laveau could cover their tracks easier than that, but maybe they don't care because they don't feel threatened by anybody that much. Not entirely clear. But then we see Madison and Zoe arguing over Kyle. Uh, Madison tries to... Madison stepping uh, up her Regina George game. <laughs> when she try, Yeah, she tries to go down on Kyle and he pushes her away um, because he loves Zoe. And so she freaks out and like throws, you know, makes a bunch of shit. Queen B. Fall off the walls, basically. And, you know, whatever happened to... We thought Zoe's powers were growing at one point, And, like, it seems like everyone else is kind of stronger than her now. Yeah, everyone else's powers have kind of been growing. And we haven't really seen Zoe do much since her uh, incantation with the zombie demons. 
Right. She becomes kind of weak, and it's almost like, you know, Kyle's her, her savior. Um, like the little scene here where Myrtle comes in and the repartee between Myrtle and Madison is pretty, pretty priceless. Um, now, correct me if I got this right. I, I wrote down that Myrtle calls Madison a bunhead with crotchless panties. I only heard uh, the part where she calls her a Hollywood cliche. Oh, yeah, she says that, too. And then Madison calls Myrtle a, like, a hot pocket or something. Yeah. <laughs> I love Myrtle. The insults were excellent. Yeah, that was that was good. Um, yeah, the, these cutdowns are great. Um, what they should do, and I think Jennifer Salt wrote this episode, but uh, the writers on Glee, man, they're, they're they've got their cutdowns good for a show being about uh, that uses the anti-bully stance. Sometimes they have some fantastic cutdowns. I like to see Jane Lynch guest star on an American Horror Story. Um. So we go from there to the scene with Myrtle and Zoe in the garden where, once again, Myrtle's playing her theremin. And, okay, so she gives Zoe... We uh, There's all sorts of wonderful Myrtle moments in this scene. But she gives her this case that has, let me get this right, a harvester ant. Uh, what what the hell is a harvester ant? It seems like it's some kind of fashion thing. Right. So I'm guessing it's it's a piece of jewelry because she references um, Joel Arthur Rosenthal, who's this okay. famous jeweler uh, from, I think, back from well, in, sometime in the past century. Uh, okay. I think he's got a, an exhibit at the MoMA, or did at one point. Uh, she also says that um, Zoe's like, can I wear it? Or should I wear it? And uh, she's like, oh, no, 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 honey. You, you couldn't wear it. Only myself or Lee Radswell could do that. And Lee Radswell is, uh, was Jackie O's uh, sister. Oh, um, okay. Is also, that... Yeah, she also throws in uh, Diane von Furstenberg in there. DVF. So she, she, th- this whole, this whole uh, spiel that... Um, Frances Conroy gives is phenomenal. She's so good in it. I love it. I also like how she tells the story about how she was dumped by some guy at one point, the only time she's ever been in love, but the guy went on to marry the designer who made the first wrap dress, and so that was okay. So so that was okay, because otherwise there would never be a wrap dress. Yeah, DVF. She knows her fashion. Myrtle's a romantic. Mm-hmm. And no, it was, it was great. But, okay, so significance of this harvester ant thing. Is it... I mean, she says she tells that she tells uh, Zoe that it's like just basically to sell in case they need money when they're off in the real world. But do you think there's going to be? Do you think that's the only meaning of it, or do you think there might be more to it than that? I definitely think some purpose will come of it uh, later down the road when she most mm-hmm. needs it. Okay, it'll come into play definitely. Right. So Myrtle wants Zoe and Kyle to run away. She thinks they're in love. Um, she wants them to get away from the coven while they still can, so that way they can preserve their lives, basically. Their innocence and their lives. Um, Zoe's not so sure about this. Fiona will. Or something else will, frankly. I mean, there's a lot of shit out there that kills people at this point in time. Um, Zoe's not so sure about this. She calls Kyle damaged goods, uh, in... Which ends up leading to Myrtle giving her a nice slap cross face, <laughs> because because she believes in romance. Damn it, <laughs> she's great. And then she gives okay. Then she gives Zoe tickets to tickets tickets to. Didn't she say tickets yeah. to Epcot? <laughs> they're, they're going to <laughs> Disney World. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
So she's sending them from New Orleans to Orlando to to be free. They might do that uh, Disney, or that that might be season four, uh, the horror in Disney, like that documentary. Uh, but it's interesting, yeah. Just so, so our fans know, there was a documentary that was illegally filmed in Disneyland. Well, not a documentary, right? Escape from oh yeah, uh, Escape from yeah, Escape from Tomorrow, and it's a it's a horror it's a horror movie that was illegally filmed in Disneyland, and it's it's bizarre, kind of yeah. It's it's a weird. I recommend it. You can rent it on. Um, iTunes right now. Um, it's an interesting watch, but it's it's weird. But maybe, okay, so that could be a potential. Okay, and that's one of the things I want to talk about at the end here. So anyway, we see you know Kyle's not sure he wants to go because he's afraid of hurting Zoe, and so she pretty quickly talks him into going. And then we have this interesting like slow motion kind of sequence where they're like running through the uh, bus station to get on the bus and oh they're going to Disneyland <laughs> on, yeah, on the bus yeah. to Orlando and I, I gotta say though um, major props to director Bradley Buecher uh, on this scene because I love the track shots where it's just <laughs> gliding along with them as they're running uh, the cameras behind them as they're running through the station and also in front of them it moves with them I, I love scenes like that also um, earlier in the episode the uh, when uh, Lulari is giving her uh, whole monologue about how she got to where she was. The camera starts in one room and then it slowly uh, tracks along the bottom um, of the room on the floor toward the couch and then it comes up over the couch and uh, turns so it's resting on top looking down uh, to who's sitting on the couch and you see Laveau and Fiona there getting their nails done by Delphine Lulari and that was I thought beautifully done. I love that. So well done. Yeah, that was a great shot. There were some great tracking shots in this. I agree with that completely. That whole scene with the narration from La Lalaurie was was cool. Just like going from like you know the toilet to going from one thing to the other was there were some neat transitions there. So like to wrap this up, there's I have a number of questions for you. Um, so the first of which being we talked about well no so let's let's wrap this episode up first so. After watching this episode, the main, I mean, you know, we, talking about what's coming, you know, we see that next week we're going to get Papa Legba's back, um, Misty's back, uh, there's Seven Wonders training, and we're going to find out who the Supreme is. So, that's obviously the big question remaining, in your opinion, a couple different things. First of all, do you think that Laveau is going to be stuck in the ground by Lalaurie and Spalding? I think something's going to happen that will prevent her from being stuck uh, either before she gets buried in the ground or if she does, then you know so- someone's going to put her back together. I think she's going to break. Of course, I, th- I think she's going to break free. No one stays where they're meant to be. She might be there for a little while. No, Lalaurie is a lot more, especially when it comes to like trying to ca- like capture witches and do stuff to them. She's a lot more talk than she is actual capability. I think she's totally outmatched and still somehow doesn't realize that. Someone's going to help her. Out. Um, next thing, what is Spalding going to do with the baby? That I think he's just a placeholder or someone to take care of the baby in the meantime. I think that was seems a little convenient that they'll just bring him back to watch over that baby, so no one because no one else knows that this baby's there besides. Uh, Laveau and Lulari, just the two of them. So Spalding's just there to kind of handle the baby until uh, Papa Legba comes back and handles his business, or till the, till either the ladies come back. True, that's a good point. So basically, he's just a caretaker until Laveau gets out of her chains or whatever. Right? Will Kyle and Zoe make it to Orlando? 
Nah, probably not. Um, or if they do, it'll be a brief, brief reprieve. Or something, yeah, something will draw her back, apparently. <laughs> I'm going to theorize right now that I think before, like, we determine who the Supreme officially is, every single witch, basically, who has potential of being Supreme will be alive and there. And just so that way all, there's every single option's laid on the table. Just like we know, you know. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Definitely. Uh, which leads me to the ultimate question that we've been asking every single week up until this point, which is, after watching this episode, who's the Supreme? I'm still on board with the uh, collective supremacy a la Captain Planet. What about you? Well, let me ask you a follow-up question to that is, would you be satisfied after all this if everyone is a Supreme? I mean... Hmm. It, do you feel like you'd somewhat be let down that there wasn't one person? There'd have to be a really good reason behind why it's a group. Like, the previous Supremes have just screwed things up so much that now they have to distribute the power between a few people instead of just a sole individual, Um, I think. Right. I don't know. It'll be interesting. Uh, Yeah. No, I agree that they would have to have some sort of justification like that for that to be even remotely satisfying, but I kind of hope that it's not. I hope that it is a person, so that way, like, but I hope it's, like... What about you? I hope that there is a justification for everybody having their power stronger, but that there is a single supreme, and it's somebody we didn't expect for a reason we didn't expect. Yeah, I like that. If I had to pick one individual that I think it would be, if it is, I mean, if it is such a huge curveball that we wouldn't see it coming, I'm inclined to say Cordelia would end up being the supreme. Yeah. Because she she would kind of be the one you, at this point, especially after how she'd kind of lost everything, she's the one you'd least suspect. Or Myrtle. Unless there's another individual that we didn't realize was a witch or something like that, you know? Like Stevie Nicks. Stevie Nicks would be another major curveball. Before we we wrap up and give this a rating, the last question I want to ask is uh, more big picture. And that is, uh, word was on the street that this episode had some hints as to what next season will be as far as American Horror Story. Of course, that is Jessica Lange's at this point, final season on American Horror Story. And so, after watching that episode, do you have any theories as to... Well, first of all, we both read some different articles and stuff about as to you know what other people are theorizing it could be. I read something from Vulture that said it was they thought it would be set in the 1950s. You were telling me you read some interesting theories, too. Yeah, I read somewhere that uh, uh, Jessica Lange's character is going to be uh, modeled after this kind of German socialite actress... Uh, and then it might take place in either New Mexico or Mexico. Um, again, I have no <laughs> I, 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 my sources are awful on that, but I, that's what I've kind of come across on the web. Um, maybe they're gonna do it in Disney World though. I, I know like the Orlando's the the obvious one from this. and I'm looking through my notes here and I'm thinking like we had, uh, vintage. Oh, what was the year he said that the vintage that the baby doll was from? Didn't he say it was from 1950 something? Oh, I don't remember. Maybe, yeah. I I think he said it was from 1951. I want to say, um, maybe that's a potential hint, but still, that's only confirming the time frame that we already kind of had in mind. Other than that, I, I I'm with you. I I guess another thing would be a farm because we have. Uh, Axeman talking about a farm. 
So it could have something to do with fire. And we also have the, chi- you know, LaLaurie cutting the head off the chicken, which would be another um, farm-related... A rural horror story. Right, so maybe it, c- it could be a, r- a rural horror... Yeah. <laughs> a rural American <laughs> horror story. Rural. I have to say that a lot for work. <laughs> rural. <laughs> so that's a, that's a potential option, too. But we're definitely curious to hear... Um, from you guys, what you think we're missing is there, you know, what hints did you pick up on that we might have missed? What do you think, where do you think next season's taking place? That's always a fun thing to theorize about. And so send us your uh, input as to that and to, of course, everything else at, uh, you know, post it on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash this American Horror Story podcast or send us it in an email at this American Horror Story at gmail.com. And then, of course, go on iTunes and give us ratings and reviews and critiques and all that good stuff. Uh, okay, so this episode, uh, Protect the Coven, what do you give it as a rating? I believe that last week we gave the episode a 9 out of 10, which is the highest we've done uh, so far this season. I give it a solid 4. I really liked the episode. Um, I would have given a 4.25 if mm-hmm. Papa Ligla had been there. Um, but I really liked it. It was fun. What do you give it? I do like, I mean, I thought it was fun. The gore was, it was, it felt very Tarantino-esque in that sense. Um, I'm going to give it a 3.5 just because I feel like there was a lot of plot holes that, I mean, you know, I can gloss over because I am a fan of the show. But at the same time, I felt like last week was a really fun, tight episode and this was a little bit, like, loose in some areas and some of the plot lines I didn't enjoy as much. Like, the Lollary one felt a little extended, unnecessarily drawn out i guess for where they were going with it ultimately um so yeah so i think i give it a 3.5 uh this week so i i think that ends us with a a 7.5 as opposed to a 9 last week so not terrible but certainly not what it was last week just more Papa Legba, please. <laughs> I agree with you. I think we're good. We're just excited to hear from you guys, and we're excited. I mean, two episodes left. Holy crap. That came upon us fast. Speaking of which, uh, Chris and I are will be doing podcasts in the American Horror Story off-season. Um, obviously not about American Horror Story, but we enjoy podcasting and want to keep it a regular thing. So we'll be letting you know in upcoming, in, you know, in the next two episodes what we'll be doing. And maybe um, if you guys want to join us for those, we'd, we'd certainly love to have you. So we'll uh, let you know where we'll be at. But I don't even want to talk about that right now because I don't want to think about the show being over yet. Uh, so anyway, um, Chris, where can people find more of uh, your uh, comments and insightful banter this week? At Chris Husted, Chris with a K, on Twitter. What about you, Tyler? Find me at TJMoss11 on Twitter. Everybody, I hope you have a great week. We'll talk to you next week. And... Uh, Hey, happy Hanukkah. Bye.